I'm gonna go have breakfast somewhere else. Nobody. Okay. Maybe David, later. David, don't hurry. I won't. Good. Great. Wonderful. Terrific. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now this is going to take several years as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right, and we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are, and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com, and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Well, hi, Grace. Hi, Shauna. How has your week been? Oh, my week's been pretty good here in California, sunny California. Just living it up, you know. Tennis, biking, hiking, and wine tasting. How's Australia? Wine tasting. Mm. Australia is starting to get cold now. The fireplace is usually on and, yeah, it's getting cold now, slowly but surely. We're still having some nice warm days. As we're heating up, you're cooling down. That's right. That shows what opposite sides of the world that we're on. Yeah. I'm a bit strange. I love the cold weather. I love the rain. I love hearing the rain yeah. on the roof. Oh, yeah. I don't really cope too well with the really hot weather. I quite enjoy being snug as a bug in a rug. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually the same. I love some weather. I like that, too. I like um, under a blanket with a fire going and more snug than... Um, hot. Actually, when I lived in LA, I didn't like that it was blue skies and sunny every day because it never gives you an excuse to just kind of hole up at (laughs) home and cuddle in the bed. And, you know, you feel like you should be out and be active every single day, you know? Well, you are living in the wrong place if that's what you want, because if anybody wants Mm. four seasons in one day, you need to come to Melbourne, Australia. Mm. Uh, Okay. And that's not a word of a lie. You could wake up, it's pouring rain. By 11 o'clock, it'll be sunny. Then by two o'clock, it'll be cool, but the sun will be out. You know, it's just, it's crazy yeah. weather here. You've always got to have a jacket with you, put it that way. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Someday I will, well, I have visited Melbourne, but I will be there visiting you and looking at all the kangaroos that you have in your backyard one day. Yes, yes, my little kangaroos. They come in around four thirty-five o'clock at night to graze. They come in to visit and we enjoy their company. And then off they go. You don't see them till the next night. Where do they go? I don't know where they go. Like where we live, we're sort of semi-rural. So I live on a 10-acre property, so they've got plenty of, and I'm glad they come into gray, so they eat the grass so we don't have to mow it. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Yeah, wow, that's so, handy. Yeah, but they just disappear into into the bush and then they come in at night time. But they only come really close to the house when everybody's gone to sleep. They know when we've all, when we're all gone to sleep and the lights are out. Because uh, then uh, in the yeah. morning you find kangaroo poo uh, <laughs> outside the house. Oh though. my gosh! Wow, that's <laughs> so cool. So cool. Anyway, yeah. Well, we've got an episode to discuss. Yes, Atlas Belched, season two, episode nine. It first aired on the tenth of December, nineteen eighty-five. It was directed by Christian I. Nyby II. It was written by Glenn Gordon Caron and Roger Director. Guest stars, Mark Lynn Baker as Phil West, George Coe as Lou LaSalle, Sid Conrad as Thornton Wellman, Jean Ross as the bartender, and J.D. Hall as the pawn shop owner. Additional stars were Mindy Iden as the receptionist and Jeffrey Lampert as the delivery driver. Synopsis of the episode, a rival detective agency makes an offer for Blue Moon Detective Agency and Maddie is seriously considering accepting the offer. Maddie breaks the news to David by trying to butter him up and preparing a breakfast in her office. Not happy with this news, David storms out and heads to a bar. Whilst there, he meets a man played by Mark Lynn Baker who is about to be sacked because his employer's prized Rolodex of celebrity phone numbers has been stolen on the one night that he didn't lock it in the safe. Once he finds out that the man's employer is a very wealthy and successful banker named Thornton Wellman, David decides to help the man find the Rolodex. He sees this as a way to save Blue Moon by acquiring Thornton Wellman as a client. He goes to Maddie's house in the middle of the night to tell her the good news. However, it's too late. Maddie informs him that she has already sold the agency. David decides to leave Blue Moon to set up his own agency, but things do not go well when the man decides to hold the Rolodex hostage. A madcap series of events occurs, causing Maddie to have a change of heart about selling the agency. The episode ends with a confrontation with Lou LaSalle, the rival detective agency owner, who now is feeling threatened because Thornton Wellman is his client, who he is now in fear of losing. Does Maddie get her agency back? Well, you'll have to watch the episode to find out. Now, what do you make of the title? First and foremost. Okay, so that was going to be my first question to you because I have no mm. idea what that reference means. Yeah, you know, I always thought it vaguely in my mind like a book title or, you know, there's a reference there. But Atlas was a, in Greek mythology, the Greek god. I did just a little bit of research. A Greek god who bore a heavy burden um, is kind of what I've come up with. So I think it refers something to like, Greek mythology, Greek gods, and then Atlas belched. Okay, so a burp or something like that. Like maybe, you know, a belch is kind of maybe a hiccup in a plan or something like that. I don't know. That's what I was kind of thinking. Maybe David bearing a heavy burden to try to prove to Maddie that they can still do this. I don't know. I'm actually at a loss. Well, we might have to put it out to our listeners. I'm sure we'll get a couple emails about that one. People who maybe know a little bit more about Greek mythology or history. That can give us some insight on that, maybe. I must admit, I've never understood the title, and I thought maybe it was an American thing or some sort of reference from the past. Yeah, I'm at a loss. I don't know what Atlas Belched means. I'm at a loss. I don't know what a flying fig is. <laughs> well, I do think it refers back to some Greek mythology. There's something in that. And Belched, I think, is maybe just a flippant kind of, you know, the Greek god burped. <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know where that's going, but 
I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking like Maddie trying to give up the agency again. Like we have to deal with this again. <laughs> you know, like David says in the episode, it's like, we played this scene. You know what I mean? We've done this. You've tried to give up the agency. I told you we could do this. I felt like the belch, the burp part is just kind of like yes. a repeat. It's regurgitating. That makes sense that, yeah, you brought it up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You brought it up again. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So, yeah, I think uh, that's what it comes to mind anyway. I thought it was a book title before or something, but I couldn't find anything like that. So, yeah, because whenever I put Atlas or Atlas Belch, it just came up with the episode. So yeah, it wasn't exactly. Even, but I didn't go that far into it to find anything more. I thought, no, Shauna will be able to answer my question. <laughs> well, Atlas, I will say this, you know, just from just a web search. A Titan who, for his part in the Titans' revolt against the gods, is forced by Zeus to support the heavens on his shoulders. So one who bears a heavy burden is what I'm thinking. And I feel like David kind of feels the burden Mm. to solve this case to prove to Wellman and Maddie that he's a worthy detective and, you know, they can do this. And maybe draw some attention towards the agency, you know, with Wellman and all that. Okay. Well, we need some moonlighting fan help on this one. I think some people will write in about that. Okay. Well, to begin this episode, I would just like to say that I think this is the beginning of when, if you wanted to be a guest star on Moonlighting, this would have been the time to do it because you get more scenes. (laughs) You get longer scenes. You get a lot of attention. And this actor, he did a a TV series um, that was called Perfect Strangers. Yeah. Okay. So Mark Baker did Perfect Strangers, which I used to watch once in a while, not religiously or anything, but I do remember watching it. So yeah, it just seems like you're right. This is the time. If you want to be a guest star, you not only will get some time filling scenes, you possibly, you know, you'll get noticed and possibly get your own show because so many people who appeared on Moonlighting end up getting their own shows. Yeah. Mark Baker, he's from St. Louis, Missouri. And he's an actor and director known for My Favourite Year in 1982, Mm -hmm. Perfect Strangers in 1986, and Adam in 2009. His career began in 1978, various TV series. He did 18 episodes of a TV series called ABC TGIF. Looks like his longest stint was uh, Perfect Strangers. He did 150 episodes from 1986 to 1993. He did a lot of small roles in other TV series, such as Ali McBeal, Law and Order. Yeah, he did nine episodes of Blue Bloods in 2018. And the most recent, he's done a TV series called Succession and then Ghosts in 2021, 2022. And that's the last thing he's done, but looks like he's still working. That is Mark Lynn Baker. Well, he's been acting for a long time and he's still a working actor. So that's great. Okay. So. The show begins with real 80s music again. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can't watch this scene because of the masks. I have to skip this scene because I was in a bank robbery when I was a bank manager and, you know, the masks scare the crap out of me at the moment. So um, I can't deal with it. But I do skip through it. I get the, oh I get the yeah, I get the gist of it. They're stealing all the computers, money, electrical equipment, and the Rolodex as well. Why they stole the Rolodex, who knows? (laughs) And they put it in the elevator, and then the elevator reopens, and then Maddie walks out. 
is there anything you want to say on this scene? Because I can't really talk much about it. Yeah, well, I mean, luckily for you or for anybody who's going to get triggered from a scene like that, it is short. It does just show them unscrewing and unpulling everything off of the hinges, piling in on their wheelie carts and out of there. And yeah, just that close up on the Rolodex. So it's a kind of surprisingly short intro. And we get to Maddie and David pretty quickly. So yeah, you're right. The elevator closes and the elevator opens and we've got legs out of the elevator. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Finally. And yeah, not just shoes, legs. Yes. Yeah. And she's carrying boxes and a picnic basket. Yeah, she's got the picnic basket and a little box with little chocolate cake yeah. slices. Yeah, which I don't understand, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Don't understand this as a breakfast choice. It is an interesting choice. She comes in, prepares the desk, moves everything out the way. She puts a thermos on the desk, cake slices and cups and everything, and she's licking her fingers and she's moving the chair. <laughs> and um, she gets the napkins, Shauna. She, yeah, seems a little nervous. She keeps looking towards the door. She's like, seems a bit anxious and maybe a bit nervous. Now, let me say something about this outfit. Yes. I like this outfit. I like the kind of two-tone, you know, gray and white striped. She has worn this outfit um, in a past episode. Do you know what episode she wore it in? No, I can't remember. remember. Which one? Um, She wore that in Lady in the Iron Mask when she and David are following the Barracuda. And then they are up on the roof and looking through the window and they know it. They see it's the husband. And yeah. Yeah, So this is an outfit that we've seen kind of recently, which is interesting. Some outfits repeat and and sometimes they repeat again and again. And then like some outfits like that outfit and the dress with the little hearts from My Fair David, which I really think is cute on her. We never see that again. You know, I do like how they repeat the suits because that's more realistic of a businesswoman. She's not going to have an unlimited amount of suits in her closet. She's not going to have Robert Turderies in the background dressing her. You know what I mean? So I know not in reality. No. Yes, that's true. But uh, yes, so she's setting up their little morning picnic and waiting for David. But yes, I really don't understand the chocolate cake for breakfast. Why? Just why? Okay. Well, what do you suggest she should have brought for breakfast for David? I would say like a croissant, maybe a breakfast sandwich. (laughs) I would have thought pastry. uh, Yeah, pastries, Some, some kind of pastry. I mean, chocolate cake for breakfast is a little odd. Yeah, just a croissant, maybe. Something like that. Something more along the lines of a pastry. Yeah. I never got that. Every time I watch this episode, I'm like, why are they having, it's clearly morning. He says like, you wouldn't have called me in here this early, you know, because we haven't seen enough of each other. But yeah, just, I don't understand even just the set design, whatever, like the props department's choice of cake. I guess it's no big deal, but I always notice that. I'm always just like, why would you have chocolate cake for breakfast? I don't get that. But yeah, a croissant. I reckon it's because Sybil had cravings for chocolate cake that day and she sent out for chocolate cake and that's (laughs) what they had to have on the desk. Probably. (laughs) It was her choice. But she's got a nice little setup there for them. And then David comes in. Yes, it's interesting how he enters. It's a great shot from inside Maddie's office out to the outer office. But he comes in, has his coat over his shoulder, puts Mm -hmm. it on his arm and it's... I don't know. It's like a, this is probably a bit, a bit of a nasty word, but it comes in in an arrogant way. He doesn't turn to her. Like, wouldn't you just come in and look straight to your left and see if Maddie was there? I know he does kind of come in. I've noticed that before. Just kind of walk straight. Yes. 
Mm. He just doesn't look, he doesn't want to give her the, the pleasure. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, the he walks in. Yeah, he doesn't want to give her the He's satisfaction. He's looking for her. Yeah. yeah. So he walks in, doesn't look, puts his arm, and then walks in to see her. I thought it was an interesting way for him to walk in. Yeah. And his, uh, oh, you know, his Indian reference, the squaw. <laughs> yeah, there's no good morning at all. He just walks mm-hmm. in. Nothing nicer for a young brave than have his breakfast prepared by his squaw. Squaw. And, wow. of course, I didn't know what a squaw was, so I had to look that up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an American Indian reference, right? Yeah, it says here, the English word squaw is an ethnic and sexual slur historically Ooh. That's what it says. Historically oh. used for Indigenous North American women. Mm-hmm. Or in, an, in another part, it said, another part of my research, it just said a North American Indian woman or wife. That's what okay. it said. So, okay. Yeah. Well, he's referring to her as his wife. So yeah, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah, well, we like that. We'll take it when we can get it. Yeah, of course. And, of course, he says something about breakfast eve festivities. And <laughs> you should try his sausage and eggs sometime. He serves them right there in the mattress. And, oh, uh, yeah, just David. David being David, I guess. Breakfast on bed. How you? There is one thing nicer. The traditional breakfast eve festivities. Really? You should try my sausage and eggs sometimes. Serve it right there on the mattress. Breakfast on bed. How you? <laughs> That's right. Yes, that is Sir <laughs> David. So it, it's flirty and cute. She's keeping it very light and it's probably because of what she has to tell him. And she's, so she's not going to take any offense. She's not going to call him out on a shit. She's mm-hmm. going to just take it. And that continues with the next scene, how she says sit and he acts like a puppy. Sit. I do rollover too. <laughs> when he does that panting with his tongue, she does it back to him, which is kind of cute. She's acting very sweet in this scene. And yeah, this is how we want them to talk. We want yes. them to fight, but we also want them to have a normal conversation instead of them always fighting. I know. Um, mm. Yeah, she's, she's definitely rolling with his banter. She's, you know, mimics him back to him. She's keeping it light. She's smiling and laughing. Mm. Yeah, I don't think she's too afraid to tell him the news. I think she's definitely buttering him up. Um, yes being sweet and you know think she can bat her eyelids but does she not know who david is like seriously like do you not know how he's going to react i mean he's going to react exactly how he reacted in the pilot when she was trying to do the same thing yeah and i I actually do think that his reaction was a bit of a surprise to her yeah you know which is kind of funny maybe what was she thinking that he might be happy to be free and go on his way but he's tried to convince her so many times i mean we yeah like you know he says in a minute we've played the scene before you know we've done this mm-hmm. he's always trying to convince her that they can make this work so why would she think that he'd be fine with her selling the agency mm. yeah well he going back he knew that she was up to something because first of all i wanted to say i was impressed with the napkins they were very nice mm-hmm. um you can't blow your nose on these babies can you right mm-hmm. <laughs> And she's like, no, so, and he's like, yeah, right. So being a smart ass, because he really mm-hmm. wants to know what the hell's going on. He knows he's yeah. on to her. <laughs> he knows something's up. Well, gosh, I mean, Maddie calling him in for an early meeting. Like he says. You know, you didn't call me in here at the crack of dawn because we don't see enough of each other. So she mentions, have you heard of Lou LaSalle? David gets a bit excited. He thinks, oh, Lou LaSalle, he's called us. And I love the references here. That's like Ford buying a car from GM. That's like Macy's calling Gimbals. That's like Hefner calling Guccione to try and fix him up with a date. (laughs) (laughs) 
love it. I know. Yeah. So I guess David at first thinks that Lou wants to hire them to do some detective work. That's what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he thinks at first. So he's super excited at first, you know, thinking like, wow, this is great. Oh, and by the way, the camera work. Oh my gosh. Does Maddie look so blurry? Over filtered thing again oh, here. They really go overboard, I, I think, sometimes. And also, there's parts of this episode she's wearing eyeliner, and I don't, I don't know about you guys, but mm-hmm. she's got the most beautiful eyes, and I love her long eyelashes. Her lower eyelashes are long, mm-hmm. and especially the scene where Lou LaSalle closes the door on her when he's, you know, lets her out of Blue Moon, and there's a close up of her. Yeah. Um. Yes. I'm jumping the gun here, but yeah, he doesn't look good in that scene. Eyeliner and also she's got bags under her eyes. Yes. She looks very tired there. Very tired. I agree in that particular scene for some reason. And I don't know, maybe that's why they use the filter sometimes, but I think we'll talk more about this, but just the fact that Maddie and David are actually in so few scenes together in this Mm. episode. We get this beginning scene, we get a scene in the middle and a scene at the end. And mm. it's like 20 minutes, like after they finish this scene, there is 20 minutes before they come back together again. So definitely, I think they were, it was just getting more and more taxing. I think Sybil needed time off. They need to give them breaks as we, are, we often notice and talk about. And yes, that one scene where she does not look good in that close up. I think that's very telling of what was going on at the time. Yeah. But I must admit, they did use the time well by putting her in between the cuts. Yeah. <laughs> in between Bruce and Mark. Yeah. Yes. At least we get her um, and Bruce in her house. I mean, it doesn't feel like they're not in it together that much. It doesn't feel like that, really. And the scenes that we get between them are pretty great, especially the one on the staircase. I guess all of those little moments make it worth it, you know, even if we can't see them together in every scene. You can now go to coffee.com slash moonlighting the podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash moonlighting the podcast and buy yourself a door slam. Yes, that's right, a door slam. Some devoted moonlighting fans have contacted us since we began this project to find out how they can support us. As you are well aware, Shauna and I do this with great joy and we have so much fun creating this podcast every week and interacting with you guys on social media and via our fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com email. So we would be ever so grateful for any small donation that you can make. Maddie would be proud. When he says about Macy's and Gimples, is it Gimples or Gimbles? I think it's Gimbles. 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 Is that a similar type of department store? I know Macy's. I went to Macy's in um, New York. I had fun there. I spent a lot of money at Macy's that day. Did you? (laughs) Yeah, Macy's. But you know what? We don't have gimbals here on the West Coast. So I really don't know. Um, That might might be an East Coast thing, gimbals. Gimbal Brothers was an American department store corporation that operated for a century. Oh, from 1887 to 1987. And then I guess it closed. So yeah, that was kind of a, yeah, gimbals. So uh, yeah, I didn't really know about gimbals. And also for the younger listeners who don't know who Guccione is, because he says Hefner is calling Guccione to try and fix him up with a date. Hefner had the Playboy magazine. So Guccione decided he was going to open a rival magazine to Mm. see if he could outwit Playboy. So he created the Penthouse magazine. Oh, Penthouse. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know 
Oh, yeah, okay. he, um, I didn't know his name was Guccione. I thought that was, uh, okay, go on. Yeah, Bob Guccione. His name was Robert okay. Guccione, but he's always known as Bob. He was an American photographer and publisher. He founded the adult magazine Penthouse in 1965, and this was aimed at competing with Hugh Hefner's Playboy. Hmm. But okay. with more explicit erotic content, a special style of soft focus photography, and in-depth hmm. reporting of government corruption scandals and the art hmm. world. So by 1982, Guccione was listed in the Forbes 400 wealth list and owned one of the biggest mansions in Manhattan. However, he made some extravagant investments that failed and the growth of free online pornography industry (laughs) in Mm. the 1990s greatly diminished his market. So in 2003, Guccione's publishers filed for bankruptcy and he resigned as chairman. So it looks like Hefner outwitted him. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. why David says, oh, that's like Hefner calling Guccione to try and fix him up with a date. I thought that was a funny reference. Yes, all of those are just like, yeah, competing brands. So Lulacell competes with Blue Moon. Lulacell's called them. David's very excited. But soon his excitement turns to a very quick anger. But I don't understand why, look, I'm selling it the whole thing, lock, stock and bad debts. David says, and you said, and then Maddie says, and I said, yay. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you did her. And he storms out of her office. Now, she's actually trying to start him up because she didn't actually say yes yet. That's true. She doesn't tell him that until she gets into his office. And poor Agnes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Poor Agnes, I know. But, you know, it's funny about that lock, stock and bad debt. In Portrait of Maddie, what was she celebrating? They made a profit. Exactly. So where's the bad debt? Where's the debt? I thought they got out of debt. I thought they were making a profit now. (laughs) And now suddenly, you know, lock, stock and bad debt, you know, the agency, like suddenly she wants to sell the damn thing. Honestly, these episodes are such a roller coaster for me because it's like, I know it's up, then it's down, (laughs) then it's this and then it's that. And it's like, make up your mind, people. I know, I know. I know, like back in the day, they're just trying to like come up with good plots and you always have to have, oh, some jeopardy. Will they lose the agency? Will they not continue? But of course, you know, they're going to continue on. There's going to be a way, but you know, they've got to take us on a little journey and a little ride here. So, but yeah, I just think that's funny that in Portrait of Maddie, it's like, we made money, David. And now it's like, yeah, I'm selling off the company, all the bad debts and everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Doesn't, doesn't quite add up, but all right. All right. We'll let yeah. you have it. So poor Agnes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't yeah. say one word to her. They just walk straight past. They're never like treating Agnes with any kind of respect. But They're very she selfish was, people, Grace. Together. She wasn't too surprised, though. She was like, yep, here we go again. Oh, she's used to it. Yeah. It's like, she's funny in this scene. Good morning, Mr. Addison. Bye-bye, Mr. Addison. Good morning, Miss Hayes. <laughs> Bye-bye, Miss Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> so she... She didn't take it too personally. No, I don't think she does anymore. She's over it. Yeah, she knows how they are. Yeah. It's mom and dad, you know. Mom and dad are angry. You stay out of the way. Yes. (laughs) She's learned. (laughs) Okay, so we have two door slams here. David walks into his office, slams the door, and then she follows him, opens his office door, and slams his door. Okay, so we've got two door slams so 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 far. far. You're so much better at counting the door slams than me because I've only counted one so far. (laughs) (laughs) You know why? Because David's slam, you don't see it. You just hear it. That's true. So they have an argument similar to the one in the pilot and gunfight. Mm -hmm. This is where she tells him that, no, I told him I'm thinking about it. 
so David is very angry and goes into his office, but Maddie comes and she slams the door, but she definitely like takes it down a notch. She doesn't start saying like, you walked out of my office. You know, she doesn't start screaming at him. She's like, David. So she's trying not to be that angry. She's trying to reason with him a little bit or I don't know, like suddenly she feels badly, I guess, about maybe his reaction. He's definitely upset. And, you know, he's like, well, we've done this before, but she's trying to say, this is the best thing. And he's like, no, it's not. Oh, but what's the best line here? He says, is that what the last 10 and a half months have been about? Just business? Yes. I wanted to say that. Yeah. Because she's saying, you're taking it personally. It's just business. And he's like, really? It's just business? You know, so wow, that, you know, this is a little reference to it hasn't been all business. I mean, we've got a lot more to dig into here, a lot, a lot more to do, a lot more work to do. What does he say? He said, um, we've already played this scene, lady. We're not through. We've just begun to hit our stride. We're just getting started. Right. Yeah. I mean, and there's dialogue like this in future episodes to come, but it's kind of like, yeah, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the business now? Or are we talking about our relationship? Yeah. David is definitely talking about the relationship because the way he looks yeah. at her, it's like, is that what the last 10 months have been about? Just business? You're taking this personally. It's not personal. It's business. Just business. Just business, huh? Is that what the past 10 months have been about? Just business? And just business, yeah. Yeah. I always think back to The Godfather when Maddie says it's not personal, it's just business. Because the great scene with Al Pacino when he decides he's going to kill the copper and he says, It's not personal, something. It's strictly business. But yeah, definitely a revealing comment about David's feelings about is she really going to walk away from this again? And yeah, has it all been about business? No, of course it hasn't, Maddie. And you know that, you know, and that's what that look is all about. And she's kind of like, hmm, you know, I think it makes her kind of think twice as well when he points that out. Yeah, she just says, look, you're taking this personal. That's her way Mm -hmm. of diverting the subject. That's not the answer we wanted from her. No. (laughs) And she's just saying, come on, David, we're no detectives. He's giving her compliments. You have more clout than Lula Sal. You know, more people know who you are. She's cutting herself short and he's trying to remind her again as he does, that they can do this and that she has more clout than Lula Sal. And he, of course, he wants the business because he sees that there's value in it. But, you know, why doesn't she see that? As I've always said in past episodes, you know, he's a visionary. He can see things. And he says that Lula Sal sees what she can't see. Yeah. That they're coming up the ranks with this business. They're a possible threat to him that they Mm. could possibly become successful and take business away from him. So he wants to knock out the lower guys. And it's possible this is what Lula Sal does, eats up the smaller detective agencies mm-hmm. so that he doesn't yep. have any rival businesses in his way. So what is Maddie thinking? Does it just sound like a good offer? I can recoup this money, go back to my normal life. Is it just tempting? Is she not thinking about David? Is she just caught off guard with Lou's offer? Or? I think she's just thinking about the money. She Mm, wants her old life back where she didn't have to worry about the money and coming into work every day. But then again, she's torn as well because when she has dinner with Lou LaSalle later, you know, she says, well, I'm not certain. Yeah, I think when Lou initially calls her, she's just initially at first glance like, great, I can recoup my money. 
But the thing is, she's not the same person that she was and her circumstances aren't the same. And, you know, she's in a different position in life right now than when she was just the model with the money. You know, I think she really does enjoy the agency. She enjoys the people. Of course, she's got David there. And I think she's been enjoying the detective work. So I think with David's reaction, and then once she thinks about it and sees what Lou's doing, I think then we see that she's torn. But I guess Lou talking to her initially, she's just thinking, great, give me the money, get rid of the agency. Yeah. Yeah. I think initially that was her initial reaction. That's great. That's a great offer without actually thinking it through. But then I think she started thinking... Actually, when you think about it, David has taken her on a great ride. Has he not? Yes. For what it's worth, I had lots of fun. Tons of fun. That's right. (laughs) That was from the pilot, remember? Yeah, like she was having fun. And her life is boring without David. So she's got to remember that. And I think deep down, that's what her issue is when she's a little undecided. However, the money wins out. Rockefellers have a problem, they call Lula Sal. The Kennedys have a problem, they call Lula Sal. Big deal! Yeah, that's right. He is the detective to the stars. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm wondering whether there's a blooper of them saying, because then when she says, any big shot has a problem, who do you think they call? And I'm waiting for David to go, Ghostbusters. (laughs) Because that was only the year before. Mm, Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, my God, that would have been so good, like they did with um, Money Talks, Maddie Walks when they. (laughs) Yeah, let's just take the money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's just take the money get and get it. down and get funky. Action. Let's just take the $20,000, get back. Let's just take the $20,000, get on a plane and get... And what? And get, get down, down with that funky. <laughs> <laughs> and get down and get funky. Yes, I would love to see more bloopers if they exist. I'm sure they do. But anyway, David slams out of there. I'm going to go have breakfast somewhere else. Nobody, Maybe David. Later. Don't hurry. I won't. Good. Great. Wonderful. Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> that was a different Love ending it wasn't a fine dialogue. good fine good sounds like some good dialogue for some merchandise yes i think so too shauna and that was another mm-hmm. door slam we have three door slams so yeah. far we got two from david and one from maddie right yes david's doing some door slamming today and we're to the next scene where he enters the bar he enters the bar the guy says good morning and he says yeah right and Patsy Klein is playing mm. in the background, Leaving on Your Mind from 1960. Not too subtle there, are they? No, exactly. It's a very good choice of song. Klein recorded the yeah. song in 1962 and released it in 63. 
It was her last mm-hmm. single before she died in a plane crash in March of that year. She had earlier hits called Crazy. People would know the word the yes. song Crazy. And I mm-hmm. Fall to Pieces. The song was featured in the ABC drama series Lost in episode three of the first season. And this song can also be heard in the 1989 film The Wizard starring Fred Savage. The bartender, his name is Gene Ross, and he is from Austin, Texas, and he's an actor, writer, known for The Goonies in 1985, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers in 1998, and Mm. Lost Highway in 1997. But surprisingly, Mm. he was in Remington Steel, Shauna. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How funny. Surprise, surprise. Oh, God. Yeah, he was in a lot of things. He was in um, Hill Street Blues and looks like the last thing he did was in 1999. But he did a lot of television shows as well. That's Gene Ross. So enter Marklin Baker. Yes. David orders a Bloody Mary. Easy on the blood, heavy on the Mary. But the bartender does completely the opposite of what he said. (laughs) He puts seriously a dash of Mary And basically the rest was tomato juice. (laughs) So I don't know why David decides to stir it with his finger because there's no Mary in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Now what happened in the bathroom? um, Phil uh, comes out and apologizing. It's funny. He tells the bartender that he needs a mop and the bartender starts uh, giving ingredients. Like he thinks that's a drink that he needs to make. (laughs) Vermouth and (laughs) grenadine. Vermouth and grenadine, oh gosh. Mm. Do you think he threw up in there? Yes. Okay. Why he's thrown up, I'm not quite sure. He seems to be a nervous little fella, nervous little executive, and because it's his first day off in six years, he's probably nervous that he's taken a day off from Thornton Wellman. But a little bit later in the episode when they're at the dump, he says, I'm hungover and something, something, something. So he's probably sick from drinking too much, first of all. And sick to his stomach about what's happened with the Rolodex, I think. Ah, okay. Yep. I didn't put that together. That's possible. He might have been drinking a lot either the night before or that morning. I think he, yeah, he said he was hungover, so he was drinking a lot. He didn't lock up the Rolodex, as we Mm. learned. So it was his fault. It got stolen. He's going to be in trouble. He's going to be fired. So, yeah, Mm. I think he was drunk and sick. Okay. Well, that explains that. So he's made a mess in the men's room and he wants a mop. And the poor bartender has to go and clean it up. And he's saying, I'll pay for a plumber. Now, why would he have to pay for a plumber? Has he blocked the toilets yeah. or something? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Maybe he threw up and it blocked and it, the toilet backed up and it went all over the floor. That's what it sounded like. Oh so he needed a mop. God, so that is so gross. He made a big old mess. <laughs> and he smells bad, as he told David. So yeah. he's probably thrown up on himself. And who knows what? The man is a mess. Interesting choice of drink for David. Do you think the Bloody Mary suits David? Well, Bloody Mary is kind of a morning drink. Oh, okay. So maybe that's why. I'm sure he orders it again in another episode. I think he does. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, he gets a Bloody Mary when he has breakfast with Maddie's dad. Oh, right. Yes. I knew he yeah. ordered it again sometime. So I, I can see him drinking Bloody Mary and then getting a beer or something. Now we get into the case. And of course, the case mirrors Maddie and David's issue. It sure does. <laughs> yeah. Clever writing. Um, I know. I love how the cases always kind of mirror what's going on with Maddie and David. They reveal even more. That is such good writing in Moonlighting. 
I don't know if that's kind of how detective shows work. I guess I haven't watched enough like other detective shows, but I don't know. I think that was kind of unique to Moonlighting. What do you think? From what I can remember, watching other detective shows like Heart to Heart, shows like that, I don't think the plots mirrored their relationships. So I think it was definitely unique to Moonlighting. Yeah. You think you're very important to somebody. You think that, um, you know, your boss values you and, and all of these things, you know. He's just about to lose his job and David says, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Yep. So Mark Lynn Baker starts telling him the story about the Rolodex, that it's got yeah. important phone numbers in it and David goes, babes. <laughs> he goes, no. <laughs> So apparently burglars took the Rolodex by accident a couple of nights ago because they were robbed. And he was telling David about how he can't get so-and-so on the line. And now he's worried because there are slots opening up above him and this happens. So it's really bad timing. And these are not phone book numbers. And it was just the one day in six years that he actually left it out and they were robbed that night. I know. That sucks. So he tells him that his employer is Thornton Wellman, the diplomat and financier. Yeah. Phil says now he's going to do two things, fire me and then call Lula Sal. David's ears prick up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's security yep. guy. That's so funny that Lula Sal comes up again in the conversation. His mind's starting to churn now. What can I do with this information? As he always does. He always looks in the opportunity in things, doesn't he? Yes, he does. So one thing I really noticed in this scene, Phil leaves money for the bartender on the counter. Phil goes to walk out and then David follows him and mm. says to him he wants to help him find the Rolodex. Bruce looks exhausted in this scene. It's like he's just showed up on set. He <laughs> looks so tired. Even his voice is croaky. It's like he's just got out of bed. Don't you reckon? Have you noticed that? Uh, I'll have to notice that. Um, I didn't notice it as much as like I noticed Sybil looking so tired in that other one, but mm. maybe this is one of the nights that uh, Bruce was out living it up. You know, sometimes he would be out partying and just kind of show up on set. You know, they're both looking very tired at this point. That's all we know. We're seeing the cracks. He wants to solve the case. He's obviously thinking about how to save Blue Moon. If he can get Thornton Wellman as a client, beautiful. We've saved Blue Moon and Maddie won't have to sell the agency. So Phil is excited about that. He's like, okay, well, beautiful. If you can help me, that'd be great. Can I just say this whole scene goes for five minutes? Yeah. Five minutes of no car chases, no funny lines, no Maddie and David, no door slamming, no Agnes. Just putting that out there, Shauna. They're dragging it out. It's a scene that uh, is filling some time. So, yeah, the case is on. Now we know where the episode is going. The plot thickens, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) And... David is off to prove some things to some people, to Maddie, to Wellman, to himself, I guess. There's quite a few times he's tried to save Blue Moon. And you know what? She doesn't appreciate that. That's my view. No, she doesn't. And then guess what we get today? We get a poem from Agnes. Yay! We get an Agnes rhyme. That's a good day. That's a funny one, too, with like, si habla espanol. No comprendo. (laughs) investigations get in some trouble we're there in a double wife of flanderer don't worry we'll handle her meet someone trail we've never failed we break every case we meet every goal and what's more a key salve espanol sorry no comprendo (laughs) (laughs) that's great you know what 
We have not had a rhyme from Agnes since My Fair David. Really? Yes. And that was the 0.5 rhyme because she was interrupted in the middle of it. Before that, it was five episodes before that in Murders in the Mail, she had a a rhyme. Mm. Gosh, not not too many rhymes from Agnes in the beginning. Yeah. So hopefully they pick up now. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Come join our Facebook community at Fans of Moonlighting the Podcast and our Instagram community at Moonlighting the Podcast. So we get the rhyme and then the flowers start arriving. Now, something really weird happens here. I don't know whether you've noticed it, Shauna. (laughs) Okay. The delivery driver walks in. As he opens the door, there's a guy in a suit that comes up to him and then he walks off. It's just a weird, weird moment. He like looks in like. Yeah. But yeah, like being nosy or something. <laughs> I don't know, but he sort of gets close to Jeffrey Lampert. He's the delivery driver, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I'd noticed that the guy, you know, it looks like he's going to walk into Blue Moon with him, but then he kind of walks past. Yeah, he looks kind of like a bully or something. I don't know. He looks a little intimidating. Yeah, I just find it a really weird moment, and I'd only noticed it mm-hmm. recently. It's only because now we're scrutinizing everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. We notice um, all these things. But, yeah, it's a weird extra moment, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so this is Jeffrey Lampert. He's a producer and actor. He's known for The Twilight Zone, the movie in 1983, The Core in 2003, Harriet 2019. Looks like he splits his role between producer and actor. Oh, really? But he does get a special thanks for A Good Day to Die Hard. In 2013. So I don't know what he did to receive those thanks, but he was thanked nonetheless. Hmm. That's Jeffrey Lampert. That's interesting. Hmm. It's a beautiful moment when the delivery driver says, Maddie Hayes, and mm-hmm. Agnes is so flattered to be called Maddie Hayes. Mm-hmm. It's like um, Next Stop Murder when they think that she's Maddie. Right. You know what I mean? How, the, how it gets confused about who's Maddie. Like It reminds me of that moment again. She's like, thank you. (laughs) So beautiful. Very flattered. Now, this is where I don't understand. Maddie pipes up and goes, did someone call for me? Now, Mm -hmm. her office door is shut. Yeah, was she just standing there or what? Was she just standing there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she just kind of walks out of nowhere. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I know her office door is shut. and yeah, What they should have done is have her sitting at that desk talking mm-hmm. to one of the workers, making out they were doing stuff, and then get up out of the yeah. chair. But she yeah. walks and out of nowhere. Yes, she does. And she gets quite the delivery of flowers. I mean, just one beautiful bouquet after the other comes in. She signs for it, and it says, welcome aboard. And then all the mm-hmm. flowers start coming in, and that's the end of the scene. And obviously, they're from Lou LaSalle. Mm-hmm. He says, see you tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes. And now I have a, a question. Yeah, I've got a lot of questions about this episode, Sean. I'm just putting that out there. Go on. A lot of questions. Well, now this isn't really making sense as far as what she told David in the opening scene, that she's going to sell it to him, lock, stock, and bad debts. She didn't say, welcome aboard, sounds like partnership. Or like, she never said that she was still going to be part of the agency, you know? Mm. And if that were the case, then that means that she'd agreed to that somehow without securing David a position, which is really rude. Yeah. 
it wasn't fully explained. Obviously, for the plot, for the viewers, they want to give us little trickles as we go along. But if that was the case, she would have said that at the start and they would have gone along as they are now, her in her office, him in his office. But the way she explained it at the start, she was selling the whole thing and they were walking away. But that's actually not yeah. the case. Yeah. So, yeah. So Lula Sal, we find out later, is it is an agreement that she stays on as a figurehead because she is the face of Blue Moon and she's the famous face. So, yes. But that's not actually explained at the start. So she's going to be the figurehead. David still had his job, but she didn't explain that at the start. Does David still have his job? Yeah, she says it later when he's packing his fly man. You have a perfectly good job here. That's what she says to him. Hmm. It's actually all Greek to me, this episode. There's a few other yeah. things which I'll get to, which are way out of whack. But anyway. Yeah. But and interesting observation. Her understanding of the deal with Lula Sal changes, I guess. And whether she knew that in the beginning or not, we don't know. Yeah, possibly. It might have been through her discussions with Lula Sal. Maybe the agreement did change. Maybe she thought, hang on, I want to stay on. Or maybe he explained it more like, no, 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 Maddie, I still want you involved. We're just going to bring in more people and I'm going to fund it or something. But okay, this doesn't make sense because, well, wait, that's what David, I don't know. That's not, I mean, wouldn't David have thought that would be a good thing if Lou was going to kind of like buoy their agency and fund it? But that's not what Maddie told him in the beginning. She told him that Lou wants to buy the company. I don't know. It's confusing. Like what she knew and how involved they were supposed to be was very unclear in the beginning. Yeah. So she either knew it and didn't want to tell him or it just evolved through her meetings with Lou. So who knows? Who knows? Exactly. My sense is it's a plot that just isn't adding up and doesn't make sense. And Mm -hmm. they're maybe scrambling a little bit to pull it all together. That's my sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because of how tired everybody's looking, of how few scenes, you know, they're really in together because the plot is a bit confused and changes midstream. <laughs> oh, uh, Shauna, yeah. Shauna, it gets worse. When we get to it, it I'll tell worse. you. Yes, I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, so we're now at the pawn shop. This is where it's also weird because yes. when they walk in, yes. Phil goes, oh, why did you call me down here? What are we doing in a yes. pawn shop? Now, they're both dressed normal, mm-hmm. like as if it's the next day, but it's not the next day, apparently. Okay, I totally know what you're saying that, what are we doing here? Why did you call me down here? Yes. Okay. So I put the guy must've gone home and changed where, (laughs) and David was where, okay. So here's what I'm wondering. It was really early in the morning. Maybe David said, you go home, shower, change, you know what I mean? Clean yourself up because he was smelling bad and everything that happened to him. Right. Yep. And maybe David went somewhere and kind of was brainstorming like, what's the next place to go? Where should we be looking for this office equipment? I know it's not well explained and everything. I know that it seemed like a maybe a scene was missing or that, like you said. But see, David's wearing the same suit, right? Yes. So it's not the next day. I think it's later in the day. Phil went home, shower changed and everything. And David was like, hey, meet me down at this yeah, pawn shop. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely the same day because when they go to the dump, to the dump, to the dump, 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 they, he <laughs> says to him, he mentioned something about this morning. Why do you think I was in that bar this morning? Yeah. As far as the scene's concerned, yes, it is the same day. But it's just that yeah. that confused me when he said that when he walked in. And also, uh, why are you wearing a suit when you've taken a sickie? <laughs> They're always wearing suits on moonlighting. 
people dressed up in the 80s. They're not wearing their stretchy clothes all the time. <laughs> like we do these days. And now these days you've got entrepreneurs in ripped jeans and ripped T-shirts. Yeah. Or you're wearing a suit from the waist up, but sweatpants from the waist <laughs> That's what we do on Zoom, Shauna. Wear our pajamas on I the know, bottom. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we dress up for each other, Grace. Oh, Definitely. it's so lovely. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think um, Mark Lynn Baker does a really good job in this episode. He's so authentic and ditzy and little mm-hmm. dorky yes. executive. Um, Plainly walks- innocent. Yeah. yeah, it's right. And he walks into the pawn shop and <laughs> I know that typewriter. So big. So bright. And so I know that typewriter. It's a nice store, Phil. No need to raise our voice. No, I know that typewriter. I know this copier. I have been intimate with that VCR and that Trinitron. <laughs> Trinitron. Oh, and that, yeah, a copier is running. And a, yeah, there's all this office equipment in there. And David knows the drill. David's been around. He knows how to get information. You know what else I noticed? It's amazing what you can hear when you've got the AirPods on instead of just watching TV. When yeah. they open the door of the pawn shop, you hear really loud sounds of the fire truck and an ambo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so also, yeah, and also when you listen to scenes in Blue Moon, there's all these car horns and the sounds of outside. Mm. It's, it's mm. a great addition. Really? Get that ambient noise. And right. I love it. It's a funny line we've got with David with Phil when he says, I've been intimate with that VCR and that Trinitron. And David goes, you got any pictures of that? Do you have any pictures of that? <laughs> I missed that line. That's great. It's, I didn't oh, that. Shauna, it's quick. It's quick. The, because as soon as he oh says it, he just says, <laughs> you got any pictures of that? Phil completely ignores him and is oblivious and didn't even hear what he said and he's so excited because Mm -hmm. he thinks the Rolodex must be here so the pawn shop owner shows up and he said yeah he used to be owned by a wealthy businessman so they start interrogating him David bribes him with the 20 bucks to tell him where the Rolodex is yeah the pawn shop guy wants to make sure they know he wasn't involved in any of this nefarious office thievery and David's like I know you weren't but we need more information so yeah who is this guy so this guy's JD Hall he's mainly known for Jaws the Revenge in 87 Fatal Attraction in 87 Father of the mm. Bride in 1991 mm. he's in some good movies he's done TV and movies I recognize him from Hill Street Blues he did three episodes of that oh he was in The Heat of the Night that was a good TV show mm. He was the voice of Blade in Spider-Man, the animated TV series. He was Reverend Hammond in Lincoln Heights, the TV series in 2007. Looks like the last thing he did was in 2021. So it looks like he's still going along working. Good old Good JD. That's great. Yeah. So the pawn shop owner tells them you can check the bin outside and Phil gets upset when it's empty. He goes, I'm mm-hmm. finished. I'm kaput. That's it. It's over. Mm-hmm. Of course, David says... It's not the end. He always looks at the opportunity in the situation and he goes to the dump. And the field goes to the dump. <laughs> to the dump, to the dump. Kaput. I'm over. Finished kaput. Wait a second. Wait a second. It's not over. You're not over. It's just not here. That's all. That's all. That's all. What are you suggesting? To the dump. 
And that's the second time that song has been used. Yeah. The William right. Tell Overture. William Tell, yeah. From Lady in the Iron yeah. Mask. And I was thinking that in the pilot, they went to a pawn shop for the watch. So now they're back in a pawn shop as well. Yes, another pawn shop scene. That's correct. One thing I did notice, I don't know whether it's just me or whether that's the way it is, but Phil's vest is way too big for him. Uh, <laughs> really? Just one of those things I noticed, Shauna. We got to notice it all, you know. All right. So yeah, we arrive at the dump. Yes. And not kind of all the uh, insert shots that they have of the dump. But yeah, they kind of use the same insert shot more than once. Kind of windy, big piles out there, trucks moving around. What I was going to say about Phil from the last scene where David has to be optimistic and keep pushing him forward, but very much now in the car when, you know, David's like, all right, let's go, you know, gets the shovels and is ready to heave ho, get to work and find that Rolodex. I wrote, Phil is like Maddie now. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, Phil is now playing the Maddie role. I am not going over there into that dump. That's garbage. I'm a non-hole digger. Yeah. Exactly. I'm a non-ditch digger. Um, (laughs) And David has to be like, now, Phil, (laughs) you know, now, Maddie. Did you notice that? I thought it was really funny. Like the dynamic now is between Phil and David is just like David and Maddie, you know, where he has to be like, that's opportunity up there. That's the gold mine. Be all that you can be, you know, giving his big, let's do it speech that he would normally give to Maddie. Yes, Phil was definitely playing the Maddie scene. I'm not going to do mm-hmm. that. We are not taking this mm-hmm. case. I am not walking into We're that area. You know, I'm not yeah. digging holes. Yeah. yeah, I'm not digging through garbage. <laughs> That's right. I think mm-hmm. Mark Lynn Baker does a really good job in this scene where he just will not get out of the car. And I love how he explains why. It's filled with things people couldn't flush. It's filled with things people have used and thrown away. It's filled with things people have eaten. It's fi- it's filled with things people couldn't flush. I just love it when he says that. All the reasons are very valid. <laughs> <laughs> this scene actually goes for four minutes. So there's another four minutes of Bruce and Mark Lynn Baker acting it out. And he said, be all that you can be. And obviously you knew what that was because that's an army slogan that was used. Be all that you can be. In the army. Yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Yeah, I never knew what that was. That's funny. Yeah, I was wondering. I remember that slogan. Yes, Maddie is having very much the opposite experience, having dinner with Lou at a lovely restaurant with her hair up and her silky shirt and her twinkling eyes. I'll put here that she's definitely got extra hair in this scene. Right. So Lou LaSalle is desperately trying to convince her to sell her agency, but she still wants to be involved. She's still undecided. And there's only one cut with the both of them in the scene. It's similar to the scene with Preston Holt, where there's only actually one cut with them in the scene. And they're just basically single shots, close up and fully filtered. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I guess just that this is where we see that she's torn, you know, and she's not sure. And Lou LaSalle is going to have to really convince her that this is the right thing to do or he's trying to. Now, did you talk about the actor who plays Lou LaSalle? No, I haven't yet. So the actor that plays Lula Sal is George Coe, and I know him from The West Wing. He was born in Queens, New York, and he was in The Stepford Wives in 1975, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins in 1985, and 
Transformers Dark of the Moon in 2011. He was born in 1929, but unfortunately passed away in 2015 at age 86. His career goes back to 1965, many TV shows, movies. He was in Hill Street Blues. Oh, he was in Saturday Night Live from 1975 to 86. He did a couple of episodes of 30-something. Now, in West Wing, he did three episodes on West Wing, and he played a great character called Senator Howard Stackhouse. And one of the memorable episodes of the West Wing that he was in was called the Stackhouse Filibuster, where he just went into the Senate and started talking and would not stop until they brought in a bill. And he just talked and talked and talked. And, of course, you're not allowed to interrupt. So he read recipes Mm. out. He read out David Copperfield. Right. So he started reading that book. He read recipe books. He would not stop. And apparently the law is you're not allowed to interrupt him. He's not allowed to drink. He's not allowed to sit down. Oh. Yeah, because he wanted them to bring in this bill and they wouldn't do it. Oh. So it was a really good episode. If anybody was interested Mm. in West Wing and wants to watch that episode, it's terrific. Yeah. But he was a great actor in so many different things, but mainly TV series. Yes, very memorable character here on Moonlighting. Actually, you know what else, Shauna? He was in Blind Date. Oh, was he? Yeah, 1987. Hmm, okay. Another Bruce crossover. There's a lot of Bruce crossovers with these actors that I find. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, we just hear more about how Maddie's unsure. So we get a little, you know, snippet of her conversation with Lula Sal. And then we're back at Blue Moon and we get a little Disney hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go, you know, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Disney, while we're speaking of Disney, Disney, pony up the money, stream Moonlighting. Come on, you can get those music rights. But anyway, there's a lot of Disney references in Moonlighting, so they should be happy to stream that show. Well, you would think so. And that's why I've got a hashtag stream Moonlighting out there rolling around. Mm -hmm. So. Everybody, hashtag stream moonlighting, please. Yes, hashtag stream moonlighting. Let's get it trending. Let's get this show on Hulu or Disney Plus. But yeah, so Phil and David come back very happy because they've gone through the garbage and they found the Rolodex in pieces, but they found it. They've got a bag of little pieces of paper and their shovels and they pile into David's office and start going through the cards, which is a really funny scene. Him calling <laughs> the Pope and the president and yeah. Yeah. They've just come in to celebrate their success. As usual, they come back to the office like Maddie and David do. Mm-hmm. Celebrate with chocolate milk. And David's appreciating people who work with shovels, to men who work the land, to women who work with their hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So David starts looking through the cards, then he rings the Pope. How mad can he get? He's a man of the people, right? <laughs> um, it's really funny how yeah. he calls him your holy ship. He's like, I wonder what time it is over there. And then he decides to ring Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan tells him a joke. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. David's laugh here is hilarious. Really good. The ticklish man and the woman doctor. Yeah. The writers are leaving that up to our imagination. Um, uh, of course. I was actually going to look up who the Pope was back then, but he's looking at these cards and he's going, Wow, I didn't realize these are the sort of numbers that you had on these cards. You know, heads of state, mm-hmm. captains of industry. Mm-hmm. Then he says, Pia Zadora. It's funny how he mentions Pia Zadora because by 1985, Pia Zadora had become a Hollywood joke, having won multiple awards for worst actress. 
In fact, mm. she was runner-up for the worst actress of the century. Oh, my gosh. I remember her on shows like Love Boat and things like that, I think. Kind of a joke entertainer type. I remember her, um, but I don't remember what she was in. So maybe that tells yeah. me. That tells me a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know the name, but you don't know, like, nothing really notable. And by the way, the Pope in the 80s was Pope John Paul II. Oh, lovely. Good. That's who was Pope from 1978 to 2005 when he died. God bless his cotton socks. Yes. So David talked to him and David talked to Reagan. A um, couple comments. This is the first episode where we learn of David's love of chocolate milk, which is an important David trait. Oh, is this the first time we see it? Chocolate milk. I'm yeah, sure. that's the first time we see him. I, I can't remember him drinking chocolate milk before this. Okay. Yep. Okay. So this is, yeah, the introduction to how David loves chocolate milk. He, keeps, he always keeps his uh, fridge stocked with chocolate milk and it's his go-to drink. Mm. <laughs> Was it com- comforting maybe or something? Or maybe he's just a kid at heart. And then the other thing, I love this about David and I love this quality about Bruce. It's not the only time that David uses this phrase. And I think Bruce is one of the only men that can really pull this off when he calls Reagan babe. He says, later, babe. Not many men. You have to be pretty masculine and pretty secure as a man to call another man babe. Yeah, I know. I've written that down here that, oh, my God, he just called the president babe. Did he just call him babe? Yeah, it says later, babe. Wow. But he calls other men babe as well. I'm not sure if I've heard Bruce say it, maybe. I don't know. It's just not a common thing that one man says to another man. No, especially like in the 80s or whatever, you know. But I love that Bruce uses that. And it's more than once. He's just the right type of guy to pull that off. He's very confident. Exactly. You have to be like real confident in your masculinity, I guess, you know. Mm. I think more men should call each other babe. I like it, but (laughs) Mm. I just think it's um, a very endearing quality in Bruce. Yeah, I thought it was good and it was funny. Yeah, Yeah, well, it suited his character to Mm -hmm. say that. Put Mm. it this way, if Phil rang him, (laughs) you know, he just can't say that. No, Phil, yeah, Phil's not going to pull that off. Walter Bishop isn't going to pull that off. You have to be a certain type of guy to pull off calling another man babe. All right. So after he's made these phone calls, David realizes that Wellman will be very happy to get these numbers back and that he is lucky to have Phil as an employee and to have David helping Phil. And this is where he opens his big fat trap again and says, some people may not be so nice. They might hold them for ransom or sell them or use them for their own purposes. He gives them the idea. Yeah, gave Phil the idea. Now, this scene goes from 20 minutes to 25 minutes into the episode. So this scene goes for another five minutes with David and Phil. (laughs) I know. Sybil needed some days off that week. Maddie is now awoken again by David, who rings the Uh, doorbell. I know. Maddie just can't get a full night's sleep with that David around, you know. (laughs) Yep, she's woken from her sleep, the doorbell. (laughs) Who walks down Mm -hmm. her staircase with a lovely teddy on. It's just another excuse to get Maddie in a nightie. Let's put it that way. Yes. And we don't mind that. And the men don't mind it either. And what gets me is she doesn't even check to see who it is. She just starts opening the door. Oh, my gosh. She probably knows it's David at this point. (laughs) It's becoming a bad habit. Or maybe not so bad habit. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle who? Cock-a-doodle you. I really like this scene because I love the way he says it, how she says who, and he cockadoodle you, and he says, open up, i got good news. Cockadoodle-doo! Cockadoodle who? 
It's a great piece of dialogue when he says, Say congratulations. Congratulations. Say, I can't believe you did it, David. I can't believe you did it, David. Say, take me, hold me, use me, abuse me. I gave it a shot. <laughs> I gave it a shot. I know, yes, he's always trying to work his way in with Maddie. Thank you for listening to Atlas Belched Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to, to Moonlighting, Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.